1769, Louis Blanchet opened a trading post right here, right in this area, which would later become the city of St. Charles. At this time, it was absolutely illegal to have any church that was non-Catholic. In 1798, a man named John Clark, often referred to himself as Father John Clark, crossed over from Illinois and at the risk of his own life and his own peril, decided that he wanted to preach the first Protestant sermon. He wanted to share the gospel with the people in the territory, which is now called Missouri. So he went to uh, the area down in Jefferson County, Herculaneum, at a place called Bates Rock at the mouth of Joachim Creek. I have fished in Joachim Creek, and I have been to Bates Rock before. And there he preached the first message of the gospel. Still illegal to preach on the soil. He actually was out on a boat in the water so that he uh, would not break the law. And he preached from a boat and shared the message of Jesus. In 1803, everything changed because of the Louisiana Purchase, and now it was okay for non-Catholic churches to start. So John Clark came up through the St. Louis area and began to preach and, and began to evangelize people. And then also down the Mississippi River, uh, around the Cape Girardeau area, in Jackson, in 1806, the first Baptist church was formed west of the Mississippi called Bethel Baptist Church. It survived until just after the Civil War, and then it had its last service. The second oldest church, now the oldest functioning, ongoing Baptist church, was established in 1807. It is Fifi Baptist Church, just across the river in Bridgeton. Since 1807, that church has been in existence and sharing the gospel. Here in St. Charles, in 18. 18, they attempted, or 1817, they attempted to, to start a Baptist church and it went on until 1829 when it closed its doors. They tried again in 1832 and it closed its doors. They tried again in 1871 and it closed its doors. And finally, James Reed came in 1888 and started what is now First Baptist Church of St. Charles. And again, at the end of last year, we just celebrated 135 years. But I want us to think on all the people whose shoulders we stand today. I want us to think back and look at all those people who serve sacrificially and risk their own life, who risk their own security to make sure that the gospel was being shared. Because it took the heart of servants to get things moving and rolling with an evangelical witness in this area. And now, as we open scripture today, we're going to see that that challenge of living for God's glory needs to be enveloped in our life as well as we serve for God's glory. Take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 4 and we're going to pick up in verse number 7. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse number 7. It says this, the end of all things is near. Therefore, 
Be alert and sober-minded for prayer. Above all, maintain constant love for one another, since love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaining. Just as each one has received a gift, use it to serve others as good stewards of the varied grace of God. If anyone speaks, let it be as one who speaks God's word. If anyone serves, let it be from the strength God provides. Notice this next phrase. So that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ in everything. To him be the glory and power forever and ever. Amen. With that, let's pray. God, I pray that you would speak to us today. Lord, that we would be people who seek to glorify you through service. In your name, amen. Life is not about you. It's a hard truth sometimes to swallow. But life really is not about you. We are given a stewardship from that date of birth, that little dash until that date of death, to live a life to the glory of God. He says in 1 Corinthians 10.31, the, the thought that we're basing this series on, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything to the glory of God. I do not live for self, I live for God's glory, is the call of scripture. That is the call of our life. So, we think about everything we do, whatever. That means if I'm hanging out at home, or I'm eating lunch, or I'm hanging out with my family and having a movie and popcorn. Everything I do is to bring glory to God. Now, there are some specific ways that we can bring glory to God. Confessing Jesus as Lord in Philippians 2, 9 through 11 reminds us that that brings glory to God. And one day every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We know that that is going to be the eternal call. Everyone is going to bow. Every tongue is going to confess to God's glory. And we have the opportunity to say, God, we give glory to you now by professing Jesus as our Lord. By living a life of faith. In Romans 4.20, it tells us that Abraham, being strengthened in faith, gave glory to God. By living a life of faith, I can give and bring God glory. I can bring God glory. By producing spiritual fruit in my life. We think of the fruit of the Spirit and the characteristics that that envelops. We think of the fruit of sharing the gospel. We think of the fruit of good works. We think of the fruit of giving. We think of this fruit. We think of that. In John fifteen eight, Jesus says that by this the Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. We can bear fruit to the glory of God. And now here in 1 Peter, Peter tells us that we are serving and that we are called to speak or to serve, he breaks it up really into two different kinds of gifts. Those who speak, let him speak the oracles of God. Let him who serve, serve in the power that God strengthens so that God may be glorified. So that our service is about his glory and not what we get out of it. 
Now, there are benefits and blessings that we get out of it, but it ultimately is for his glory. Now, let's be mindful of who Peter is writing to. Peter is writing about 30 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. Do you remember what happens? In Acts chapter 1, in verse number 8, it tells us that that Jesus has promised that power will come upon you when the Holy Spirit comes and you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And what do we find? That the Holy Spirit does come on the day of Pentecost. And what do we do find? We find that everybody hangs in Jerusalem. Nobody wants to leave. Nobody wants to change. Nobody wants to move. So what happens in Acts chapter 8 and verse number 1? Persecution breaks out. God has more than one way to get somebody to move. And so persecution breaks out. And what happens? The church begins to spread out. And now as Peter writes about in in the 60s AD, he writes to believers who many of these believers are in the area of what is common day Turkey, some five to eight hundred miles away from Jerusalem. They are facing the trials of living under the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire at this time is very pagan, very polytheistic. It is one that that uh, lives for emperor worship. It is one that is filled with, with immorality that uh, is just blatant and out there every day. And there is not necessarily a lot of friendliness toward the message of Jesus. So understand, believers at this time could say, oh, man, life's hard enough. I don't, I don't want to go do anything. I don't want to go serve. Man, I just got to take care of me and my, my, my family here. I, I, man, life's hard enough. Man, we're facing trials and persecution and people are ridiculing us and some people won't even come to our shop because we, we proclaim ourselves to be believers. And so we're pulling in and we're gonna, we're gonna round everybody up in our little party and we're gonna say, no, we're taking care of self first. And instead, Peter says, you've been given spiritual gifts by God. So now go and serve even in your discomfort. It's easy for us to serve when life is, you know, rainbows and butterflies and babies and, you know, pink daisies and little puppies. But what happens when life's hard? What happens when life has transitions that we don't really care for? What happens when we face a difficult time and lose our job or lose our health? What happens when, when we have this transition that comes into our life that, that we did not ask for and we don't really care for? What do we do then? That is the picture of where Peter is riding to believers on this day. Everything is not rubber balls and little puppies and green grass and sunshine. This is a hard day. Really, just eking out a living in the first century was hard enough. But now to add persecution, and to add unfriendliness in the Roman Empire, uh, from the Roman Empire, and to, to add the trials of following Jesus on top of that. And yet Peter says, I want calling you because of the urgency of the day to love and serve others. And I could think of no better message for us today. 
that the great challenge of our life is even when life isn't comfortable and even when changes are happening and even when our political climate isn't what I want it to be and maybe my 401k isn't what I want it to be, to choose to love and to serve anyway is what God calls us to do. We just sang, is he worthy? Well, let me ask you, is he really worthy? Is he really worthy to serve? So this morning, I want us to see this, this big, big overall thought, that as believers, we are called to serve to the glory of God. And with that, I want to add three challenges to you this morning. First, as we think about our, our serving, that we are to serve with grace. We're to serve with grace. Now, notice what it says here in, in this passage, down in verse number 10. He says, as each one has received a gift, use it to serve others as good stewards of the varied grace of God. Now, two big things that the Lord tells us right here. First off, he tells us that every one of us, at the moment of salvation, are given spiritual gifts. And those are gifts of God's grace, so that you can be useful for the eternal kingdom. A lot of what we spend our life on here on earth is going to stay here on earth. Our cars, our house, all of our stuff. Okay, it's all staying. But God has given each one of us gifts so that we can make an impact on people's lives for eternity. So each one of us are given gifts. But these gifts are reflective of God's grace, the varied grace of God, that we're all given this different gift, uh, a different spiritual gift or spiritual gifts so that God's grace could be experienced in our life, so that God's grace can be expressed in our life. In Romans twelve six, it talks about how God, through his grace, has given us different gifts. Now, gifts are not, they're not natural abilities. These are supernatural gifts that God gives us at salvation. These are gifts that, that God gives us. And again, Peter just breaks them down into two main gifts, speaking and serving in this passage. But you can go to passages like Romans chapter 12, verse number, about verse number 5 and following. Or you can look in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and you can see lists of gifts that are given. But what we find here is Peter is saying, life's not just about you. Life is truly about service. And God has given us a gift, and now he wants us to use it. So, the big thought, use your spiritual gift to serve others. That's what, that's, that's exactly what the passage says. As each one of you have received a gift, verse number 10, use it to serve others. Serve others. That God calls, even in the first century when life is hard, even when money's tight, even when trials are real, even when transitions are looming, he's saying, serve others. This is what life is about. This is what our calling is. We're not here to just sit. We're not here to just soak. We're here to serve. So he says, as you have received these gifts as good stewards, serve other people. Serve other people. Use your gifts to serve others. Now, 
Take your Bibles back, and, and, and if you have a moment, just, just grab back to Mark chapter 9. Matthew, Mark, second, second book in the New Testament. And listen what Jesus says. Jesus says this in Mark chapter 9. Jesus called them over, Mark chapter 9, verse 42. Jesus called them over and said to them, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, they, they try to be bosses, and those in high positions act as tyrants over them, but it is not so among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to be great among you will be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you will be a slave to all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So being a disciple of Jesus means I'm to be like Jesus, and Jesus says, you've got to get the right mindset here. Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but he came to serve. And throughout his life and ministry, he would serve. He would be the one in the upper room that would take a towel and a basin of water and wash the disciples' feet. He was a servant. He served. That's what Jesus did. And that needs to be our mindset. Our mindset is as believers, we are not consumers of the church. We are givers, servers. We are sharers in the work because that's what God has called us to do. And one day, you will not regret having served the Lord, even in your difficulty today. We are to serve others. But it goes even further than that. We are to serve others as good stewards of God's grace. We're to, we're to serve as good stewards. Now notice, back in 1 Peter, this is exactly what the text says. As each one has received a gift, use it to serve others as good stewards of the varied grace of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, in verse number 2, it says, Moreover, brethren, it is required of stewards... That one be found faithful. That's exactly right. Faithful. What are stewards supposed to do? They are supposed to look at the resources God has given us, the spiritual gifts and abilities that God has given us, and the opportunities that God has given us, and take advantage of them. That's our stewardship. We look at the opportunities, we look at the resources, and we say, God, I'm willing to take all of the resources that you have given me and to put them into all the opportunities that you have before me, and I want to be faithful to do that. That's our call. And yet, sometimes it's just a lot easier to sit on our resources and say, I don't really want to do anything. Chuck Swindoll, in one of his books, shared a little poem. I, I think it's an apt picture of many who call themselves believers, but they aren't really servant-minded. It says this, I'll go where you want me to go, dear Lord. Real service is what I desire. I'll sing a solo at any time, but just don't make me sing in the choir. I'll be in the front, but yeah, I don't want to sing with everybody. I'll do what you want me to do, dear Lord. I like to see things come to pass. But don't ask me to teach boys and girls, oh Lord. I'd rather just stay in my class. I'll do what you want me to do, dear Lord. I yearn for the kingdom to thrive. I'll give you my nickels and dimes, dear Lord. But please don't ask me to tithe. 
I'll go where you want me to go, dear Lord. I'll say what you want me to say. But I'm busy now with myself, dear Lord. I'll help you some other day. There's the picture. We're to serve as good stewards of God's grace. But then we do that in God's strength. Notice what it says in the text. It says, if anyone speaks, let him speak the words of God. And if anyone serves... Let it be from the strength God provides so that we serve through God's strength. Philippians 2.13 says this. Listen, this is an important verse. You need to know this verse. It is God who works in you both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. What that means is, is that God gives us the desire and then God gives us the ability to do his will. That's what that really means. And when we have that desire, sometimes we don't get exactly all of the, 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 the exact desire we want. But, but when God puts that ministry opportunity in front of us and says, man, I'm, I'm through the Holy Spirit, I'm speaking to you about this. This is, this is you. Then he gives us the ability to do exactly what he has called us to do. And then we ultimately do that to the glory of God. Because notice how that act of service ends. That we are serving So that, he says in the text, from the strength God provides, so that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ in everything. Is he worthy? Sure, he's worthy. We'll sing about it. We'll say amen about it. But will we serve? That, my friends, is the question about living to God's glory. We serve with grace. Secondly, we find that we not only serve with grace, but we serve with love. Notice back up in the verses that we read just preceding these verses on service. Notice verse number nine. Above all, maintain constant love. The real emphasis of this passage is love. And love serves. But now, so so, so we're talking about serving to the glory of God. We understand that that service has to come from love. That God has this way to, to root out our motives. That God has this way to show us our heart when we begin to serve. Whether I'm doing that for self or for him. Whether I'm willing to persevere or quit. Whether I'm willing to hang in there or I want to take my toys and go home. We serve. We serve with love. And that love is shown in three ways. First, it's shown through kindness. He says this, above all, maintain constant love for one another. That that love is, is pictured as a fervent love, as a passionate love. That love that is kind and that love that serves. But secondly, that love is shown through forgiveness. Notice what he says in the passage. He says, and if anyone has sinned against you, basically, he says, love covers a multitude of sins. Love never condones sins, but love has this innate ability to forgive and cover sins. And when someone in our life has hurt us and they have apologized, To go back and to fish those things back up and to fish things up that have been already dealt with. Let me tell you, that's unloving and that is unkind. He says love is going to cover that multitude of sin. Not that you forget and not that you condone, 
but you choose to forgive. Ephesians 4.32 says, and be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ Jesus has forgiven you. What if every time you bowed to pray, the Lord brought up everything you've ever done wrong in your life? How do you think you'd feel? Most of you would say, man, I'm just going to quit talking to him altogether. But that's not what he does. He takes our sin and separates as far as the east is from the west. He takes that sin, Micah seven nineteen, cast it into the depths of the deepest sea. He blots it out, Jeremiah thirty one thirty four. He remembers it no more. That's the picture. And we're to take on that same characteristic. Kindness, forgiveness, and then hospitality. Notice, he tells them to be hospitable. Be hospitable to one another without complaining. Most of us have probably hosted someone in our home before. Or one of our kids has brought someone home before. One of our adult kids brings someone over to hang out. You know, those things happen. Those things happen in our house all the time. And you know, we have a choice every time someone comes in. We can ignore them, we can be rude to them, or we can show hospitality. Now, I want you to think about your house in the context of the church house. I want you to picture someone who walks in here with a deep need. Maybe they don't look exactly like you do. Maybe they don't vote like you do. Maybe they don't sing. Maybe they're just hurting. How do we receive them in our house? Is there hospitality here? Or do we just leave that to someone else and say, we'll let someone else talk to them. We'll let somebody else. Can I tell you, we have to take ownership in this. And I'm glad it says without complaining. So I feel like I can preach on this pretty hard right here. And, uh, you know, if, if you gripe at me, I can say, well, it says without complaining. <laughs> I'm teasing. But the truth is, is we're part of a family. And the Lord has given us a place to meet. I don't own it and you don't own it. We ultimately say this is the Lord's. So why not show hospitality? Why not show kindness and gratitude when someone is here? Love serves. Sometimes that serving is just through kindness that we offer to somebody. Sometimes that service is through forgiveness. Sometimes that service can be very active through hospitality. Do you have a class? I'd love to take you to my class. Hey, have you been to the info center? Hey, how can we help? What kind of questions do you have? There's, there's some real issues for all of us as we think about serving. We serve with grace. We serve with love. But we can't miss this third thought that opens up in verse number seven, that we serve with urgency. Notice what verse number seven says. The end of all things is near. Peter's writing this in the 60s AD. We're in 2024. This has been a little while. And this is what I know. The end is nearer 
and nearer than it's ever been. And there needs to be a sense of urgency. And as we see the darkness around us, there is a sense of urgency because the end is near. That needs to fire us up just a little bit. That, that needs to, to, instead of looking, listen, when we look at all those lost people as our enemies instead of our mission field, we're not having the heart of a servant and we're not understanding the urgency of the end times. He's telling them to, the end is near, so go love and go serve. The end is near. And listen, even if the end is not near in Jesus' coming, most of you have lived more than halfway through life. And the end is getting nearer. We're ever mindful of that. Tomorrow I'll go and have a CT scan and a chest x-ray because of the kidney cancer I had. And it's a reminder of my own mortality It's a reminder that this isn't forever. It's a reminder that this is just, I'm I'm just passing through. And that my ultimate end and goal is heaven for all eternity. So I dare not just live and invest everything and all the stuff that I can't take with me. The end is near. Serve. Love! The end is near. That's the heartbeat of what Peter is saying. The end of all things is near. This was the hope of the early church. Jesus is coming or I'm going to meet him. But they really thought Jesus was coming. You remember the late 1990s? Oh man. Y2K, 2000, Jesus is coming. Well listen. And I had it already figured out how old I was going to be on Y2K. From the time I was a little kid, I'd heard messages about the Lord coming. And people thought he was coming before 2000. I have a book in my library called 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Was Going to Happen in 1988. All right, It is still in my library and still a reminder to me that we do not know. And so invest the time you have today to serve. Is he worthy? That really is the question. Is he worthy? Is he worthy to serve when life's hard? Is he worthy to serve when changes happen? Is he worthy to serve when my health is not what I want it to be? Is he worthy to serve when my finances are struggling? Is he worthy to serve when even relationships that I have are in turmoil? Is he worthy to serve? He is because the end is near. Notice verse number 7, he doesn't stop there. He says, the end of all things is is near. Therefore, be alert and sober-minded for prayer. Embrace the opportunity to pray. But it's interesting what he says, be alert and be sober-minded. It gives a picture of don't be intoxicated spiritually, mentally, emotionally. And this really was a, a word that, that uh, was speaking against uh, being intoxicated. But more than that, it's saying, look, you need to be alert and be self-controlled. Embrace that need that we have to pray. The end is near. Don't you find it interesting? 
embrace that need to pray. That was exactly how the message ended last week. As we looked and Jesus would say, man, the people are like sheep without a shepherd. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest. And what did Wes Fowler say? He said, as we pray for the Lord of the harvest, what happens is, is we begin to pray and then the Lord begins to work in us and he wants to send us. And I will tell you the same thing. Pray. Embrace the urgency. Watch and be self-controlled. And then as you pray and you begin to listen, look for opportunities that you have yourself to serve. Look for opportunities that you have to serve. The end of all things is near. I'm afraid that there are some who even call themselves believers who have invested most of their Christian life into the things that will not last. But you have the opportunity to serve with grace and to serve with love and to serve with urgency. Because he is worthy. He is worthy to be served. Daniel Webster was born in 1782. He was a member of the House of Representatives and a member of Senate. He was a United States Secretary of State twice and... Dennis, I was looking through my stamp collection. There's at least five stamps with Daniel, or, uh, with Daniel Webster on them. But he said this. The greatest thought that has ever entered my mind is that one day I will have to stand before a holy God and give an account of my life. Now listen. We understand that unbelievers are going to stand before the great white throne judgment. And there will be a judgment of condemnation. But all of us as believers are going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. You can look at Romans 14.10, Romans 14.12, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 10. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Or 1 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning with verse number 12. And you can see that all of us one day are going to stand before God. And we are going to give an account of our self. And because we're going to give an account of ourselves to the God who is worthy. I hope to live a life that's worthy. And I don't think well done, good and faithful servant is something every believer will hear. I don't. I don't think that at all. I don't think the Lord can be a liar. But I hope he says it to you. But there's only one that I can control. And I fervently hope he says it to me. There's going to come that day, Daniel Webster says, that I'll have to stand before a holy God and give an account of my life. With that, let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. And God... uh, your, your word makes it very clear that we're to serve to your honor and glory. Lord, we, we serve in the good times and the challenging times and the transition times and the trials. Lord, you just call us to serve. That's what we're supposed to do. Because that's what you did. 
through the trials and the persecution and the mockery and the rebellion. Lord, you just served. Lord, you know where every person is on their race. Some may have many laps to go. Some have more laps behind them they have in front of them. But Lord, may we run in such a way that we hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. May we serve with grace and with love and urgency to the glory of God. In your name I pray.